Thank you for being here. Welcome to CF. Thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. Um, as we get started, I'd like to thank, uh, thank our King's Table volunteers, those people who go up every week. They give up their time every Sunday. Um, there's a group that go up uh, to teach and to pour into the, the kids, the future of uh, this, not only this church, but the next generation of Christians, or that they are the ones that go up and are pouring in and teaching who God is and, and what he is, uh, how he loves them and cares for them, and they show them their love and care. Um, and so we thank, so thankful for them and the amount of time that they put in. If that's something that interests you in getting involved with our kids' ministry, you can fill out a Connect card and go ahead um, and drop that in the offering plate, and we will follow up with you about that. Um, but I just want to say again, thank you to everybody involved with King's Table, everybody who uh, takes care of the kids on Sunday mornings. Um, this morning we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 John chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a seat back around you, and if you don't own a Bible, um, there is, um, that's our gift to you, so please take that, keep that. And if you're using one of those seatback Bibles, 1 John is found on page 1021, and then you're going to flip a few pages to get to chapter 5, which is where we're going to be. Um, as you're turning there, um, I don't know about you guys, but when I go to make a purchase, when I go to buy something um, online, I spend probably way too much time looking at customer reviews of whatever it is I'm about to buy, like to an extreme amount. Sarah will mention like, hey, I wanna get, we want to get a new uh, TV stand for our living room. And like within minutes, I'm looking at like six different TV stands and just hundreds of customer reviews. I do this all the time. I actually did it this week. I was getting a part for our washer and I was all ready to buy it, had my credit card info locked in and then looked at one of the customer reviews and one of the last ones said, hey, this isn't the right part. It just looks like the right part. It's not gonna fit your washer. And so it totally saved me. So I was justified in that. Um, but we do this all the time. We rely so much on what other people tell us, what other people have to say, on other people's testimonials. We take their word on their experience with a product or a restaurant or a movie or a book. And it doesn't even have to be somebody that we know, right? Like I have watched things on Netflix. It was like, oh, that looks interesting. And it has four stars. Okay, I'm sold. I don't know those people that put four stars in there, but because it's got four stars, I'm in. We do this all the time. We take other people's word. And this morning, we're going to talk about another kind of testimony, another testimony, the one that God has given us concerning Jesus, concerning whether or not we can or should believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. So that's where we're going to go this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into 1 John 5. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day. Another day to worship you, God. Lord, you give us life. You give us breath. The Bible says that your, this world, that your creation reveals you to us. In the creativity and the complexity of this world, we see you and your care for us. The way that you love us. And so, God, this morning, we think and dwell on that love, and Lord, we lift up those families who have been affected by the terror that we have seen around the world in the last week. Places like Manchester and Egypt where bombings are happening and people are dying, Lord, we pray for those families who are being affected by this, Lord. I pray that you step in with comfort and peace. And as we think about peace, Lord, as this weekend we, we remember, it's Memorial Day weekend, we remember those people who have given their lives for this country, who have died to protect this country, 
to make it possible for us to come to a church building with a big light-up sign outside and openly and publicly and loudly proclaim that Jesus is God, that we serve you. And so, Lord, we pray for the families uh, of those who have lost loved ones in military, in military service, Lord. We pray for those families. We remember and are thankful for that, Lord. And ultimately, we are so thankful when it comes to giving up lives for freedom, Lord, there is none that compares to the life that Jesus gave up so that we could have freedom, so that we could be free and be your sons and daughters. God, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're going to be in chapter 5, verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So as we jump into this passage, verses 6, 7, and 8 uh, is basically universally agreed on that it's kind of hard and difficult and confusing. No scholars, really, there's not a universal, agreed-upon way to interpret what John is referring to when he talks about the blood and the water. Nobody really knows exactly what's going on. There's a couple of different major camps of how to interpret these verses, but in general, it's kind of open for debate. And so what I want to do is uh, I want to look at these three verses, and I'm going to give you the three kind of main ways that these verses get interpreted, and then I'm going to kind of, I'll just share what I think it is, um, but then I want to give us and focus on what's the point, that it doesn't matter really, I want to say up front, it doesn't matter how you read these three verses. If they are, um, if you see it and read it differently than I do, that's okay, but the main point is the thing that we need to agree on. So the first, um, the first idea that I want to share is that when John talks about the water and the blood, the water, he's talking about baptism, specifically our baptism, and the blood he talks about, he's talking about communion. So basically, there's one interpretation that says when Jesus came by the water and the blood, that is the sacraments that the church does, the things that we do today to help us remember and identify with Christ. Right? In baptism, we publicly de declare our allegiance to Christ in his death. In the same way that Christ went into the tomb and came out, we go underwater and we come up. Um, and then in communion, we eat and we drink and we remember the sacrifice Christ made on our behalf. These are things that we do today. And so some will interpret that and say, that's what he's talking about. Jesus told us right before he leaves, he says, go and baptize others. And at the Last Supper, at the, when he's with his disciples, he said, do this and remember me. When you eat and drink, do this and remember me. And so some interpret this passage and say, that's what he's talking about, is our baptism, our communion. And I don't necessarily agree with that one because John says, Jesus came by the water and the blood. It's something that has happened in the past, not something that's happening currently. It's something that's already been done. And so that interpretation I don't necessarily agree with, um, but that's one. The second one is that the water and blood refer to Jesus' death. 
Specifically, we're talking about John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 19. And it refers to when Jesus was on the cross and the soldier pierced his side. So John 19, 34 and 35 says this, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you may also believe. This could be it. I, I like this reading of it. I like this interpretation. Um, but again, it doesn't really explain the phrase, he came by the blood and water. And maybe it would explain if he said Jesus left by the blood and the water, but not necessarily that he came by the blood and the water. Though it is a cool illustration and a cool connection point back to the Gospel of John, I don't necessarily think this is the one. Um, the third major one, the one where I kind of fall into, is pretty much the traditional, the, one of the oldest interpretations of this passage, and it's that the water refers to Jesus' baptism, and the blood refers to the crucifixion. It's sort of a hybrid of these first two. Because what's the point of this letter? One of the main things that, G that John is writing against, that John is trying to remind the readers of, is that Jesus is real. And so this interpretation strengthens John's argument that Jesus was a real, actual person, right? We talked about this way back in January in chapter 1, where John talked about, I saw him, I touched him, I was with him. He was an actual person. He wasn't this spirit concept that people had tried to make him into. He was a physical person, fully God and fully man. And so when we talk about Jesus' baptism, that kind of kicks off Jesus' ministry, right? He goes and he's baptized by his cousin John. But why does he get baptized? Because baptism, right, for us, it's symbolically cleansing us of our sins. It's something we do after we get saved. We get baptized, and what does water do? It cleans. And so we symbolically go underwater, come up clean and new. And so but why would Jesus do that? Because for us, baptism symbolically cleanses us of our sins, and Jesus had no sin. And so why would Jesus do that? His baptism was about identifying himself with us, with humans, with his creation. He comes and says, look, I am, I am, one of, I am fully human. I am a real, actual person, I, and I've come to identify and connect and relate to you. But he didn't just come to do that. He didn't come just to identify and relate to us, but to die for us, which he did at the cross. His blood was spilt because he was an actual human. He actually died, and in doing so, finished what he came to do, to be our substitute, to be our savior. And so these two events, we have Jesus' baptism and Jesus' death, these are two public declarations of Jesus and his divinity. At the baptism... Right? God the Father speaks, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit shows up in the form of a dove. At the cross, when Jesus dies, an eclipse happens. It goes dark in the middle of the day. There's an earthquake. Matthew's Gospel says people were right coming back from the dead. There's a giant thick curtain in the synagogue, and that's torn in two. There are these big, powerful signs from God that something important was happening at Jesus' death. And these were observable events, events that had crowds around them, crowds that saw Jesus the man be baptized and crucified. Not a spirit, but a fully God, fully human Jesus do these things. And they serve as a testimony, John says, about who Jesus is. So what's a testimony? A testimony is giving your story, serving as a witness, 
We do it in church all the time, right? Testimony is one of those church words we throw around all the time. And we say, you know, if somebody wants to share their testimony, it's share your story about how you were saved. Share your story about how God changed your life. And in court, we swear, right? We take an oath and we swear that we are telling the truth and then we testify to the events in question. And so what John is saying is that these events testify that Jesus was fully human And in a bigger sense, they testify to the legitimacy of the gospel. They testify to the legitimacy of what the disciples had been teaching, what the church was teaching, what these new believers, what these believers came to know as truth. And that's the take-home from this blood and water section. Regardless of whether or not you agree with me, if you land and say, you know what, that John 19 thing, that makes more sense to me, Tim, that's where I think it is, cool. That's okay. The take-home from it is that these things, what John is saying is that Jesus is real. He happened. He existed. John experienced it. Lots of other people experienced it. John, in this letter, has been grounding us in the truth that we already know. And part of that is speaking to the truth regarding Jesus being what the Bible said he was. God come in the flesh to dwell and to die for the sins of all time. But John references a third testimony. He says there's the water and there's the blood and the Spirit who testifies. Not just the blood and water, but the Spirit testifies also. We saw a few weeks ago and throughout this letter, he's talked and made reference to the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? He points us to Jesus. He helps us with discernment. And we can trust the Spirit, John says, because the Holy Spirit is truth. One of the commentaries I read this week said this, We were not present at the baptism of Christ or at his death, but the Holy Spirit was present. The Holy Spirit is the only person active on earth today that was present when Christ was ministering here. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens our eyes. He's the one who opens us up to the reality of who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross and what he continues to do for us on our behalf. And so John says, look, all three of these testimonies, the blood, the water, the spirit, they all agree. They're all saying the same thing. They're all telling the same story. They declare the same truth, that Jesus was fully God, fully man, come to earth, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross for our sins. In the Old Testament law, for someone to bring an accusation against another person, you would need to have at least two witnesses to the crime they committed. Here, John gives us three witnesses. He gives us three witnesses to satisfy that need. And then he kind of throws a challenge our way. He kind of spins it this way. Look at verse 9 with me. He says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. See, we trust the person driving in the lane next to us not to swerve over and hit us. We trust the person that we bought something from on Amazon to actually fulfill the order correctly. We trust the barista down the street to give us real milk instead of that fake soy nonsense. We trust the testimony. We trust the word of people around us all the time. And yet, when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to the testimony of God, we flinch and we get uncomfortable because it couldn't possibly happen the way it says in the Bible. Some of you have probably know the names Plato, Aristotle, their friend Socrates, also known as Socrates. 
No one denies that these three existed, right? No one argues over whether or not they were actual people. They don't dispute their writings or their thoughts or ideas. We just take those as history and fact. I want to share a little bit about the, some of the uh, proof that we have of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. Plato wrote between the years 427 and 347 BC. The earliest copy of his work that we have is dated 900 AD, which best case scenario puts a gap between his writings and our copy of his writings at 1,200 years. And we have all of seven copies of Plato's writings. But we don't argue the legitimacy of Plato. We don't question it. Aristotle wrote between 384 and 322 BC. The earliest copy of his work that we have is dated 1100 AD, which again, best case scenario, puts a gap between his writings and our copy at 1400 years. Now for Aristotle, we do have 49 copies of his work. Again, not a lot. And yet nobody questions whether or not Aristotle was a person. Nobody questions whether or not he wrote the things that we say he wrote. Socrates didn't write anything. People wrote about him, people quoted him, but he didn't actually put pen to paper on anything. But again, nobody questioned Socrates. The New Testament was basically completed by 100 AD. The earliest New Testament writing that we have is the Gospel of Mark, and that's dated roughly around 65 AD, so about 35 years after Jesus left. The earliest copy of a New Testament writing that we have is dated 130 A.D., which is a 65-year gap, as opposed to 1,100 years or 1,400 years. There are over 5,500 pieces of New Testament writing that we have available to us. Now, they're not full books. Some of them are just a couple of verses. Some of them a couple of passages. But overall, we have over 5,500 pieces and copies of New Testament writing, and some are being found almost daily. And yet when it comes to the Bible, people have been trying, basically since it was written, to tear it down. Now, I'm not saying that we should believe the Bible because we have more copies of it than Plato. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying believe it because it's true. And know that when it comes to historical evidence, the Bible can and does withstand any attack that can be thrown at it. You see, being a Christian isn't this irrational idea. It's not this irrational concept. It is backed by witnesses and testimony. That's what John is doing here. He's saying, look, I lived it. I saw it. That's what the gospel writers did. They said, this is what we experienced. It's backed by witness and testimony. And if we are willing to trust the testimony, the word of the people of that time, there is life there. Because for us today, we trust the word of people or the people around us all of the time. How much more so should we be able to trust the witness of God? What he has been telling us, what God has been sharing, what God has shared in the scriptures has always made sense, has always been good, has always been to help his creation live the best way possible. What have we said since the beginning? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. His word, the testimony that he has provided us regarding Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection is true. And that's what John has been getting at in this passage. The water, the blood, the spirit, they all agree and they all point us to Jesus because 
they came from God. For those people who say, I want a sign, I need to know God is real, I need a sign, he's given a bunch, he gave us his testimony that Jesus is God in the flesh, he has given us scripture to reveal that to us. Look at verse 10 with me. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. John reminds us that when we have put our faith in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, who, among other things, assures us of the truth of what we believe. It is the Holy Spirit that in those moments of questioning, in those moments of doubt and confusion, he centers us like a compass that points north. The Holy Spirit reminds us, he is for us this internal witness to what we already know to be true, to what we already know to be the truth. And so here John makes another light versus darkness, truth versus lie statement. You either believe and you have the Holy Spirit in you, or you don't believe. And in fact, you are calling God a liar. Because you have taken the observable, objectable, objective witness that God has given us regarding Jesus, and you've chosen to ignore it and say it's not true. Thus, you have made God a liar. And so we close this passage out with John answering for us, what is it that God has been testifying to? What is it about Jesus that he has been pointing, to, pointing us to? Why is this testimony so important? And he clears it up, and in verse 12 gives us one of the clearest explanations that he possibly can. Look at verse 11 and 12 with me. This is the testimony that God gave us, that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. What is God's testimony? That he gave us eternal life. Now some of you might hear eternal life and that might sound awful to you. Because why would you want to live here in this sinful, broken, dark, and ugly world forever? That's not the eternal life that God is promising us. The eternal life that is being offered isn't broken and flawed. It is life restored. It is living and dwelling in the presence of God. It is living in a way and in a place and at a time where all things have been put in order, where there is no more sickness and death, no more hell, no more pain, no more destruction. We live in a perfect relationship with one another and with God, the way it was intended to be. And this eternal life, this life of joy and completeness, it is a gift given by God. And it is a gift available to all people. This life, he says, is found in his Son. And so in verse 12, he says, if you have the Son, you have life. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. And actually, if you read verse 12, when he says, whoever has the Son has life, actually in the Greek, in the Greek, there's an article there before life. So actually, it should read, whoever has the Son has the life. Has the life. That life indeed, that life abundant. It is not just a later thing. Yes, it will affect us later, and when we die, that won't be the end of the story. But the life that God has testified to, the life that is being offered, is not just a for later thing. It's not something that future you has to worry about. Or it is here and now. It is for us today. It is the life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10, 10, when he said, I have come so that they can have life and life abundant. 
life in excess, life overflowing, life fulfilled, life where our identity and our hope and our trust is not wrapped up in us or in another person or in our jobs or our schooling, but we are wrapped up in Jesus Christ. The life that God has testified to that is available to all people, it is available to you today. If you will believe that Jesus is God who came to earth for the sin, to die for the sins of all existence, for your sins, for my sins, and when he rose from the dead, he proved he had the power to forgive sins, and he did. And he offers us a new life, a better life, an abundant life. This life is in him. It is not something that can be earned or won. It is found in Christ alone. And the eternal life being offered is not, again, it's not just for a later thing. It's not for future you. It's for you. It affects us here and now today. Because look at how he says it. Whoever has the Son has life. It's not whoever has the Son will have life later. It's whoever has the Son has life now, has life today. Something new is born in you now and today. That's what John has been saying throughout this letter. If you skip, spoiler alerts for next week, look at verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things so that you know you have eternal life. If you have put your faith in Christ, if you have put your faith in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, you are secure. You are set. You are forgiven. Your hope is is in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. You are a child of God. Gentlemen, you are a son of God. Ladies, you are a daughter of God. Nothing and no one can take that from you. It's real. It happened. God has been at work and through God has been at work and through the Holy Spirit continues to do work in us and through us. God give, has given us witnesses. He has given us truthful, honest testimony of his love for us. So be set, be secure, be grounded and rooted in this truth and in the testimony of God that whoever has the Son has life. Let's pray.